thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Let's go to God in prayer and then we're going to study together. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence today, to be with our brothers and sisters, to be with our family, God. God, we're so grateful for each and every person in this room and their willingness to be here. Everybody's here maybe for a different reason, but the common bond we have is that we're here. We've made time. We've made the effort. We've put you first in this moment. And God, for that, I'm grateful, as I know you are. We pray that you help us grow as we open up your word today. Allow your spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our mind, to fill our souls, God, so that we can walk in step with the spirit every single day and in every move that we make. God, over the last few months, we've been studying just the words of Jesus. And nothing is more powerful than his words. That's what Paul preached. That's what Peter preached. That's what all the apostles preached. That's what the writers of Scripture talked about were the words of Jesus above everything else. Help us to focus on those words today and grow from this encounter and this moment in his life. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Follow along as we go. So it says, They went across the lake to the region of the garrisons, where Jesus got out of the boat, and a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, or had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chain apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, the, uh, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus saw him from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of God, the Most High, or Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again, Do not send them out of the area. A large, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. <coughs> Those ten pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Isn't this just a really neat story? There's a lot going on in this story, isn't there? I remember the first time I ever heard uh, our preacher in Savannah preach this story, and it just, it was just an amazing, yeah, I, I just, I just marveled at all the things that were going on. There's a lot of things that we could talk about uh, from a lot of different perspectives of it this morning, but I want to um, just talk about a few things that, that I think that we can pull from this and grow from in our life. And as we get to the last point today, we're going to touch on the last point, but we're really going to flesh the last point out tonight uh, in our um, Bible study at six o'clock. So here's the first thing that I want us to start with this morning. Here's the first idea that I want you to kind of think about and kind of roll around in your mind. That when sin and Satan has control, it never just affects you. Okay? When sin and Satan has control, it never just affects you and your life and your, your, your kind of deal and what's going on with just you. So as I read this story... As I read this story, I, I get the impression, and, and I might be wrong, but I get the impression that this guy maybe started out, he's demon-possessed, but maybe he started out not like as demon-possessed as he was when Jesus finds him. And, and I think there's some hints and some clues to that. <laughs> because it seems like maybe, it seems like maybe they begin... To try, as, as his possession gets worse or his acting out gets worse, it seems like maybe at one point they were able to subdue him and maybe keep him under control. But as the spirits within him maybe gained more power or got more control, that maybe he became um, bigger and stronger and, and that possession within his life uh, became uh, more, more prominent. And, you know, you, you do read in Scripture in this time of demon possession uh, that, that you might drive a demon out. But if you don't fill it with Jesus, okay, if you just leave the house open, he says that he will go and grab some of his friends, basically, and bring them and move them in. And just because he says his name is Legion and he says there's a bunch of us, I this is just commentary. I get the impression that maybe more demons had possessed this man as he went on. And it started out maybe as one, but then more and more and more kind of came into him. And he got worse and worse and worse. I think that's just maybe something that you could see in the text here. And, and the reason I bring that up is because a lot of times in our life, when we're talking about this idea of sin and Satan and the things that we struggle with and, and the way Satan can kind of get control of our lives, I think that falling into a life of sin... And being controlled by Satan is never an all-out thing all of a sudden, is it? It's never an all-out thing all of a sudden. Very rarely, very, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but very rarely do you see people who start out, we'll use Luke 15 for instance. Very rarely do you see people who start out at home and then their very next destination is the pig pen. You know what I'm saying? Very rarely is it that I'm living a life that I'm supposed to, and then tomorrow, boom, I am as deep into sin 
as I've ever been and I ever can be. It's usually what? It's usually a process, isn't it? I'm letting my guard down. I'm, I'm maybe, maybe I'm struggling with this little sin. Okay, maybe I'm struggling with what I consider a little sin. And that little sin begins to maybe get a hold of me. And that little sin then becomes a little bit bigger sin. And then a little bit bigger sin until the point that, that I've shut God out and I've let this sin control my life. James talks about this very idea. James kind of gives this idea. He says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. We call that a temptation. Temptations in and of themselves are not wrong, but they can pull us away in a direction we don't need to go. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is what? What's that word? Full grown gives birth to death. So, so James gives us this perspective here that living a life of sin, and, and, and let me tell you this morning, I, you've heard me say this, it's been a while since I've said, since I've talked about this, but I struggle with the idea I struggle with the idea of people making this statement, we're all sinners. But we use that phrase a lot, don't we? We're, we're all sinners. And I struggle with that statement because, to me, that statement is about what defines you. If you are a child of God, what word do we use to define ourselves? Christian, right? Christian. I'm a Christian. And I look at it like this. I am a Christian who is defined by Jesus, who is walking in the light, who is living in the direction of God, but there are going to be times in my life that I sin. Does that make sense? But if I say I'm a sinner, then I am defining myself by things that are not of God. And I, and I think we have to be careful with that idea. We've got to be careful with what we label ourselves as. And sometimes we want to say, well, we're, I'm just a sinner because we think it's kind of humbling us. And so, but no, no, don't be afraid to define yourself as a child of God. I am a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, say that. Say, I'm a Christian. Say it again, everybody. I am a, that is what defines you, okay? But if we're not careful, and we allow Satan to get a foothold. We allow Satan to get a foothold. Those desires that we have. I'm a Christian. I'm defined by Jesus. But I still have troubles and temptations and things in my life that I want to do that I know I can't do. Paul talks about that, right? And it's a really wordy passage and it's kind of hard. But Paul basically says, there's things that I want to do that I cannot do, but the things that I cannot do, I want to do, but the things I want to do, I cannot do. Do you follow that? That's kind of how that passage reads. But basically what he's saying is he's saying, there's things that I know I need to be doing in my life. And at times I struggle to do those things. But the things that I wish that I could just get rid of and have no part in my life, the fleshly, the fleshly side, the human side of me, the man side of me, the part that sins, man, it's easy to give in to those things. And if we give in to those things, as James says, if we give in to those things, then those things can begin to take over. Those things can become the things that define us. It can go from a 
if you'll allow me, a little sin, this one thing that I'm struggling with, and it can grow to something else, and then to something else, and then to something else, to the point that the sin becomes, what does James say? Full grown, and it takes up all of my life, and it shut God out. Now, you're all going to find yourself at different points in this process. Um, I, I believe some of us are, I know some of us are in a, in a phase in our life where we're just Christian, okay? And we are really living and being defined by God. And that's a great place to be. But then there's some of you here this morning that's probably struggling with that little sin, that thing that just keeps creeping back in, that thing that Satan knows, hey, if I, if, if I just keep throwing this at him, if I just keep throwing this at him, that idea of enticed in the word, in James, that word is a hunting and fishing term. It's like dangling a, a hook with a great looking worm on it in front of a fish, putting some bait in a, in a trap for an animal. I'm going to, I'm going to keep putting this in front of you so that I can pull you in my direction. Okay. Some of you are there, Satan boy, Satan's working on you, but you're trying to resist, but man, he's working on you. And then you might be in this full grown this morning. You might be in a place where you are full grown into sin. And if you are, praise God that you're here today. Amen. Cause that means you haven't completely given up, but regardless of where we are, regardless of where we are, we all need the healing and cleansing power of Jesus. Amen. Let's try that again. We all need the healing and cleansing power of Jesus. Amen? And that's the second idea that I want you to follow with me this morning. Is that if you give Jesus the chance, he's not going to make you. This is a volunteer business, kind of like the military. There's no draft anymore. You've got to sign up and volunteer to do it. And once you get there, you're there, and you're going to be there. And, and, and they're going to, to teach you and train you what you need to be. And all that's true about the Lord's army, okay? There's all these things that we need to be and need to do. But he says, here, I'm going to train you. I'm going to help you do this. But it starts with this idea that Jesus will give you a new life. Jesus will give you a new life. So a life of sin has great impact on your life. You believe that? A life of sin has great impact on your life. Just as Jesus can have great impact on your life, sin has great impact on your life. And it can do a few different things. And I just want you to think about these things for a moment. If you, if you go from that idea of that little sin that's creeping in to I'm allowing it to become full grown, what is it going to take away? How is it going to affect your life? Well, aside from the idea that James said that it creates death, or another way to think about that is it creates separation between God and yourself, it also deprives you of spiritual strength and comfort. It deprives you of spiritual strength and comfort. <coughs> There's this idea in Scripture that when we have the Holy Spirit, that we are going to have the power from God to face things in our life and overcome things. Sin takes that away. Sin puts us in a place where that relationship isn't as functional as it once was. I think about, I think about um, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, when he left home, I love this imagery, he was always a son of his father, right? That never changed. He was always a son of his father. But what he did is he put himself in a position where he no longer benefited from being a son. He no longer benefited from being a son. He had to figure things out on his own. After a long, hard day of working cattle with his dad, 
One of the greatest benefits was coming home and mom's cooked this big, great, wonderful meal. And he, and, and he gets strength from that. He gets renewed from that. Now I've left home. And what do I have to do? I have to figure out my own meals. I have to figure out my own things. Dad always took care of this. He always helped me with this. He always made sure I had this. Now that I'm not there, i got to figure it all out on my own. And, and that's the story of the prodigal son that I think that we have to understand and can relate to. That when we live a life of sin instead of a life of Jesus, and it's your choice. It's your choice. But you're choosing to live a life that is empty of the power of God in your life. And also you have, you have a limited amount of comfort. A limited amount of comfort. There's no greater comfort than that of Jesus and of his church family. And I know there's some of you that have gone through things and walked through things in your life that you'll stand up this morning and you'll say, had it not been for my church family, I would have never gotten through it. And you understand the comfort that comes from that. Sin takes that away. Sin leads us to a dark place. If you walk in the what? Light. As he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another. But that also means that there is another way to walk, and that is in what? Darkness. Walking in darkness. Things are different in the dark, aren't they? Things are different in the dark. In the dark... Things grow and become more than they should be. For example, Legos grow into the most dangerous toy in the dark. I'll tell you something else that grows into something dangerous in the dark. A clothes hanger. How many of you have ever slipped on a clothes hanger in the dark? Now, some of you are lying. Okay? Some of you are lying. I mean, that clothes hanger becomes as slick as glass. And you slide for 30 feet, you feel like. And then if you are lucky enough to stay on upright, you hurt. And if you fall, you hurt. But I mean, things in the dark are different, aren't they? Things in the dark are different. There's no guidance. There's, there's, there's no Darkness is, is, is hopelessness. And so in sin, there is darkness. Sin produces slavery. This guy... And our story was bound and shackled for periods of time. And sin binds us and shackles us. I was thinking about getting Ron to do some more handcuff impressions. And then last time I did that, he put me on the floor. So I didn't want to do that again. Um, but let me ask you something. How many of you would be comfortable wearing a handcuff just right here? How many of you would be comfortable with that? Anybody? Stacy's like, one, that may not be so bad. Okay, I mean, it's not much different than wearing a bracelet, right? Maybe you're not comfortable with it, but let me ask you this. If you put a handcuff, just if Ron just put one handcuff on you today, just on one side, you got this other one dangling over here, but you're just wearing half of it, how many of you could get used to that and still figure out a way to function? It might get in the way, right? It might get in the way, but you figure out how. Sin does that, doesn't it? Sin grabs you cuffs you and it's just the cuff at first it's just the one and you can get used to it and it becomes a distraction at first and then, then before you know it satan's got a cuff for the other one now let me ask you could you still function in life completely handcuffed could you could you still fun you could could you still cook if you needed to handcuffed you could 
Could you, uh, could you still shake someone's hand? Could you still hold someone's hand? Could you still fix your hair? You know, all these, I, mean, I mean, it'd be different. It'd be hard. But could you do it? And could you get used to it? Eventually, you might even get used to it. But every new cuff limits your life a little bit more and a little bit more. And sin does that. We can get used to it. We can get comfortable to it. But it's going to limit us. And we're not going to live our life to the fullness that we once did. And then ultimately it brings death and our relationship to God. But I want you to know something this morning. Jesus wants you to have life. And what does Scripture say? Not just have life, but have it to the fullness. To have it in abundance. So, so that's what he wants with you. That's what he wants for you. So, so he's here to offer you a new life. So this is what he says in Romans 6.23. We'll look at two verses or three verses from this chapter. He says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. If you live life of sin, okay? If you live a life of sin, opposite direction of God, there is going to be death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I love that word gift. How many of you like a gift? How many of you like a gift? How many of you love? How many, if you had to pick, you can either give gifts or receive gifts the rest of your life. You can only do one. How many of you are going to pick receive? The rest of you are lying. I'm just kidding. We love to receive a gift. And he says, look, I'm giving you the greatest gift of all. I want you to have this. It's just yours. It's free. Come get it. How do we get it? You back up into this book, into this chapter. He says this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, say that with me, live a new. He comes to give you life. And he says, what I'm offering is free. Come get it. And we say, okay, I want to get it. I want to grab it. I want to take hold of it. I want this new life. He says, all right, you find it through baptism this morning. If you want that new life in Jesus, if you want that salvation relationship with Jesus, it's found in your baptism when you connect yourself to the blood and the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as you come up out of the water, you are raised into this new life just as Jesus was raised from the grave. We can say amen to that, can't we? Or not, that's fine too. Third thing, this is what we're going to talk about more tonight. Jesus wants you to tell, wants you to tell others about your relationship with him. Jesus wants you to tell others about your relationship with him. Um, how many of you like to talk? I know who you are. How many of you like to talk? Talking's fun for a lot. Some of you prefer to listen. Some of you just prefer to be left alone, and that's fine too. Um, what's your conversation been about this week? What's your conversation been about this week? Dylan, over the last couple of weeks, everybody that's talked to you has wanted to talk to you about what? Basketball, right? Final Four. Dylan's sick of hearing about the Final Four. Now, I don't know if he is, and he's probably. But. That's, everybody wants to talk to Dylan about that because they're excited about that. They're, they're, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. Wiley's excited this morning because Tennessee is going to win the SEC championship today, right? Pulling for Texas A&M. Um, 
He wanted to talk about that this morning. How many of you have had a number of conversations about Ukraine and Russia over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, because it's on our mind. It's something we're thinking about. How many of you, Alex, what did I talk to you about the other day? How many of you have talked about the baseball lockout? That's been the biggest concern in your world. It's been mine. It's been mine. And I was wrong, Alex. I said May, but I was wrong. I sounded real smart, giving Alex the reason I didn't think we were going to play Major League Baseball to May. And then the next day, it was all different. But I'm happy. We're playing baseball. How many of you, how many of you grandparents have talked about your grandkids this week? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people have you talked to about Jesus? Think about that for a second. How many people have you talked to about Jesus? We talk about everything else, don't we? Things that don't even matter. Does it matter if we played baseball this year? No. Wiley, does it matter if Tennessee wins today? No, it doesn't. And I'm not just saying that because it's Tennessee, I promise. How many people have you talked to about Jesus this week? I feel like we have such a misconception about evangelism. that We've made evangelism about a process. We've made evangelism about knowing all the answers to the questions. How many of you are scared to death if you begin to talk about Jesus, someone's going to ask you a Bible question and you're not going to know the answer? You're, you're afraid of that? Yeah. How, how many of you would consider yourselves students of the Word of God? Just I'm not asking you to brag. How many of you would consider yourselves students of the Word of God? Those of you that consider yourselves students of the Word of God, Larry, Larry, you've taught Bible class for how many years? Forever. Have you ever been asked a question you didn't know the answer to? Absolutely. Sean, have you ever been? Absolutely. I've been asked questions that I don't know the answer to, and I'm going to knock that podium over. As long as I don't fall on the floor. It's okay not to have all the answers. So don't, don't, let's, let's get over that. Let's get over having all the answers. But I want you to know something this morning. This was a challenging thing that I've, I've studied Can you evangelize and teach people the gospel without this book? How many of you, can you evangelize? Now, Jonathan, I'm good at trick questions, right? Jonathan's looking at me like, yeah, here he goes. How many of you think that you can evangelize and teach the gospel without this book? Raise your hand. How many of you think you have to have it to do it? How many of you are now like, I'm not answering do you know that this book in any form really didn't exist for nearly 300 years after Jesus? For nearly 300 years. The church grew for 300 years without this. And boy, we make everything. And I'm not saying we shouldn't make everything about this. I'm not, okay? But how in the world did the church grow without going, well, Acts 2.38 says this. How in the world did they convert people without having book, chapter, verse answers to everything. They lived it. They told their story. You have a story this morning in your own personal life that's about Jesus that should reflect every word in this book. You've had experiences in your life. You've had moments in your life where if it hadn't have been for Jesus, you wouldn't have gotten through it. Your story, your story, the way you live your life, 
will more than likely have more impact on bringing someone to Jesus than just these words. Now, they give us a path. They give us a direction. They help us answer questions. But people are looking at you. People are looking at you. And if your story doesn't match this, they're not going to come be a part. If your love is the same love as the world and not the love of Jesus, they're not going to come and be a part. If your marriage is a marriage of the world and not a marriage of Scripture, that's not going to bring people to Jesus. Look at this verse. This is the very last verse of this story. So the man went away. Jesus said, go tell everybody. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And what does this last phrase say? And all the people were... Were they amazed at Scripture? They were amazed at the interaction that this man had with Jesus. They were, in, they were amazed at what Jesus had done in this person's life. Again, I'm not saying this isn't important. Don't, I don't want anybody to be like, Danny, Matthew's talking about the Bible not being important. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying your story, what you live, and what you tell people is just as important. It's just as important. Some of you can go into someone and look at them and say, you know what, I used to be an alcoholic. And I turned my life around. And these are the blessings that I'm receiving. Some of you can say my marriage was falling apart. And we really started focusing on Jesus. And this is how our marriage was healed. Some of you can say, you know what, I used to be in financial, just a financial free fall. And then I began to understand what Christian stewardship really is. And these are the way I've been blessed. Some of you can say, I was sick and I've been healed. Let me tell you about my relationship with Jesus. You have a powerful story. You have a powerful story. You need to figure out how to tell it, figure out who to tell it to, and then tell it to everyone who will listen. Listen to that again. Figure out how to tell it. Figure out who to tell it to and then tell it to everyone who will listen. And even those who won't. Even those who won't. And when your story and Jesus' story intersects, it becomes amazing. Your story does. And it can amaze other people. Now, I want you to come back tonight. And we're going to talk about this idea of evangelism a little more about sharing our story with people, sharing scripture with people within that story, talking about getting over some of those fears and maybe some ways to accomplish that um, because we just don't have the time for that this morning. So what does he tell us? What does he tell us? He tells us this morning, go tell. And not just here, not just to this guy. He tells us that in the Great Commission, to go everywhere and make disciples. Go and tell what Jesus has done and teach those people to go tell and teach those people to go tell and teach those people to go tell. You know, there used to be this idea that it was the preacher's job to grow the church. And I totally disagree with that. It's not my job to grow the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It's yours and mine. And we do that by going and telling others about Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll close. God, we thank you for our time. We thank you for this story. We thank you for the challenges 
that it puts in our lives. We thank you for the hope that it puts in our life, that if we are facing sinful challenges, God, that we have a God that wants to heal us and drive the sin out of us and help us to just live a normal, faith-focused life. We thank you for having a Savior that cares about our souls and that wants us to spend eternity with him forever. And God, if there are those that are struggling with that this morning, help them to release those struggles, those burdens, those sins to you and walk in the light once again. God, be with those who have never made that decision to live the new life, have never lived that new life, had that moment of of new birth in their baptism where their sins are initially forgiven and they're wiped clean and they are connected to the resurrection in that moment. God, we pray that if that's what they need this morning, that they'll make that decision and turn their life over to you in that way. God, give us courage, give us strength to tell our story to anybody that'll listen. Help us to expand the borders of your kingdom and help us to understand that you are blessing our lives and those blessings are sermons that we can share with other people. Help us to open people's eyes. Help us to open their hearts to you so that they can find the new life as well. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a church of Christ caring for its community.